Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our morning worship service. We'd like to thank our visitors for being here this morning. We appreciate you being here and uh, like to invite you back at 6 p.m. this evening. And we're here on 7 on Wednesdays for a devotional and Bible study after that. We ask at this time if you would silence your cell phones. Especially this evening during the Super Bowl, we don't want to know no scores. But anyway, if you do that, we'd appreciate it. Just, I have a couple things this morning. This Friday, my sister plans to come home after seven and a half months in the hospital. There's been several people to, that's asked almost every week how she doing. She took a ride in the car this week. She's been practicing getting in and out of bed and getting in and out of a car so that she can come home. The uh, wheelchair ramp's been built, but she's, she's doing a lot better, has a good attitude. And Bob, her husband's been attending. They usually attend 26th Street. I, can't see Bob this morning if he's here, but anyway, a lot of you know Carolyn, and, and uh, we appreciate the thoughts and prayers. Also, this past Monday was a good day. Pat Parker was baptized into Christ. That's Dickie's mother. I forget her daughter-in-law's name. Tanya, that's right, that's right, Tanya. That's Tanya's mother-in-law. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations to Pat. See her afterwards, she's sitting over here. She, she's our new sister in Christ. This morning I'd like to read from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will you bow with me in prayer, please? <clears throat> Father, we are thankful for the blessing of a new day, for the opportunity that we have to come here to worship you. And we pray, Father, our worship service is in accordance with your word and pleasing unto you. We're thankful for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for all the many blessings you've given us, for the land in which we live to let our light shine in this community. We ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins. We're thankful for watching over Carolyn and for David Hout to be able to be out and for the many more that we have that are sick. Bless Charlie and Alice and Roger and Peg and Jim and Margaret and Marvin and Judy and Jim and Kathy and all of our others, Father. Go with us through this service. Be with Chris as he presents us with the lesson as we surround that table and John leads us in our singing. Bless us, Father. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 180, God is Love. <clears throat> Come, let us all
Next hymn for this morning, number 473. Oh, how I love Jesus, 473. And after this hymn, Brother Drew Hustle will have our scripture in your prayer. There is a name I Scripture today comes from Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time to we're able to gather together. We thank you for all the people who's uh, put the work in today to uh, make sure that everyone leaves uh, filled and excited to spend another week um, out in the world trying to talk to others about you. We pray that we would just have, uh, have the faith that, that you want us to have to be able to um, reach people and to, to grow ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next time this morning, number 769. Why should he love me so? 769. Why should we have this love? Why should we have this love? Why should we have this love? 
Oftentimes when we look at stories of Jesus' life, we look at the miraculous side of it. We know that Jesus was the Son of God, so when we look at stories of him going into villages and, and healing the sick or walking on water, we, we tend to think of focus of this Jesus as a supernatural uh, figure. But one of the most amazing parts about Jesus' life was he was just a person like, like you and I. We know, for example, uh, in John 4, when he was traveling through Samaria, that he was tired and he was thirsty. So he sat, stopped at the well to get some water. We know from other times that he was hungry. The Bible tells us several times that he withdrew from the crowds and that the angels would strengthen him and encourage him. He dealt with human emotions like we do. And one of the most amazing examples of that comes from the, the book of Luke. On the night that he was betrayed, when he's in the garden, he's praying to his father. Pleading with Jesus, or pleading with God, that if it be his will, take this cup away from me. He's asking God if there be any other way for this salvation to um, happen that that would be the way that happened, not what Jesus was about to face. We know, as Luke records for us, that he was in extreme ang anguish, that angels came to encourage him, and that he even had sweat like blood that poured from his head, showing how anxious and how much anguish and suffering he was, just thinking about what he knew he was getting ready to do. So yet I find it interesting that Matthew records for us that as he's betrayed and as, John, or as Peter goes to, to stop Jesus from being arrested, and he cuts off the, the servant's ear, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, don't do this. We're not fighting. Put the sword away. He even heals the man, puts his ear back on. And he tells Peter, he said, you, you know that if I wanted to, I could call on my father and 12 legions of angels would come down. You know, we sing the song, 10,000 angels. Where at any point, any point when Jesus could have said, I've had enough, this hurts too much, and he would have been set free. He could have, he could have, he could have done whatever he wanted. He could have stopped it at any point. He dealt with pain like we do. He dealt with fear like we do. And he had the ability to stop it. But why didn't he? Why did he choose to suffer and die on Calvary's cross for each and every one of us? Well, the simple answer is, is that he loved us. John 15 tells us, in you know, Jesus' own words, there's no greater love than for one to lay down his life for his friends. In the very next verse, Jesus tells his disciples, you are my friends. Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. He died on Calvary's cross for sins that you and I have committed. And he did it knowing he could have stopped it, but he knew that it was the will of his Father that we may have that ability to joy heaven with him, to, to be reunited with our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus was willing to make that sacrifice, endure those pains, those fears, those 
the anguish because he loved us and considered us friends. So as we bow and we gather around the Lord's table to partake of the bread, which represents his body, the fruit of the vine, which represents his blood, let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us and the love that helped keep him on that cross. Let's bow. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful so much for all of life's many blessings. We're thankful most of all for your son, who, was, who loved us and considered us friends worthy of laying down his own pure and sinless life for. For enduring Calvary's cross and all of its, its suffering, so that through his sacrifice, we might have that hope of heaven someday with you. We ask that you bless this bread, which Jesus said represented his body. May it be taken in a worthy manner and that each and every one of us may be edified with it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's go again to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, thankful so much for your Son who shed his pure and sinless blood. His blood being used as this sacrifice that was able to cleanse us of our sins. We ask that you be with us as we partake of this emblem, the fruit of the vine, which represents that blood. It may be done in a worthy manner. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Was anyone missed? This concludes the, the Lord's Supper, but as an opportune time, uh, we now fulfill another obligation of, of giving back a portion of what we've been blessed with. Unlike the Old Testament Jews, where a specific percentage of everything they owned had to go back to the temples, you know, we are, we are instructed as Christians to give uh, cheerfully. Um, so let's now go to God in prayer for uh, bless this offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of life's good blessings. We know that all good things come from you. We ask now at this time as we gather up an offering that the work of the church may continue to be funded, that you bless this contribution. May it help sow seeds throughout this community and throughout this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 421, Love Lifted Me. At this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> I was sleeping deep in sin, but the peace of the Lord, very deeply sent with sin, taking to my
please be seated. The invitation to him for this morning, number 655, there is a fountain for the Christian. Where are you going to be in five or ten years? Think about that for a second. We'll, hopefully, we'll have done a lot of very good things in the next five or ten years, right? I'll be 50. Uh, we went to lectureship this year, the, just last week. It's where we were last week, and I looked at some of my friends and thought, man, you've gotten old. And they graduated with me, and I'm sure they could have said the same thing. But uh, you start not recognizing people, right? So think about it for a second. Where are you going to be in five or ten years? We'll have gone on a lot more mission trips, won't we, across the span of time. We'll have learned a lot more Bible, won't we? Hopefully we'll have seen a lot more converts and we'll have grown both numerically and spiritually. Where, where are you going to be in five or ten years? Flip over to Genesis chapter 12. We'll be talking about Abraham's life today. Uh, if, you're, if you want one, how about this? We want to do the kids first, but if you want one, uh, walk up to an elder today and tell him an, a fact about Abraham, and he's going to give you one of these cards. This is mostly for kids, but if you guys, adults, want one, you can have one too. But you're going to have to do the Abraham fact thing. So uh, we're kind of basing these off of uh, like trading cards kind of things. So we're going to do one of these for Abraham. Next week we'll be talking about Isaac. We'll do one for him as well as Jacob and Joseph at the end of this uh, month. So you can collect those throughout the year. We may do a couple of other um, character studies like that. Uh, but it's got an AI picture of Abraham uh, on it. This is what Abraham might have looked like. Um, and, and then on the back, it's got several facts uh, from Abraham's life. So be on the lookout for those and, and approach one of our elders today and, and tell him a, uh, a fact about Abraham, and he'll hand you one of those cards. We've been talking about Genesis this uh, this month, and so or over the last couple of months, been talking about Abraham. Or we've been talking about Genesis over the last month, or so, uh, and so you know now that Genesis is outlined with four major events in the first half of Genesis. Genesis one through eleven are, are characterized before by four major events. We've got the formation, the creation of the world. You've got the fall, that when Adam and Eve sinned. You've got the flood uh, there in Genesis 6, and then you've got the fallout with the Tower of Babel. But in the last section of Genesis, it's characterized and it can be outlined by four major people. Uh, so now we're looking at four major people. You know them well. Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, and then Jacob's son, and the last half of Genesis, Joseph. And so we'll be looking at these four men's lives in an effort to see what we can learn from them. Um, a lot is said about most of these guys, and Abraham is certainly no exception. We even know him in the New Testament. The New Testament talks about him quite a bit. Uh, and so we want to we walk through Abraham's life and learn what we can learn from him, specifically about faith. Throughout the, uh, the New Testament, Abraham will be pointed to as a figure that we should look to to understand how we can have more faith. So let, let's start early on in his life, really in Genesis 11, the last section, the last little half of Genesis 11 is the call of Abraham. Uh, and so God's going to meet Abraham when he's in Ur of the Chaldees. Um, his father's still alive. Terah is still alive, Abraham's dad. He's not a believer. In fact, Abraham's not a believer at this point. Terah is an idol worshiper. 
uh, Ur of the Chaldees is and has been for a long time when Abraham comes on the scene, a center for moon worship. They called the, 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 the god uh, of the moon, the goddess of the moon was called Sin. Um, I suppose relation to the sin we know in the New Testament. But uh, her, her name, as they knew it, was Sin. So Ur of the Chaldees was one of the focal points for where this goddess was worshipped. God wants to and is now searching for a man who he can start a dynasty with. And so he calls Abraham. And his question for Abraham is, are you willing to leave this? Ur of the Chaldees is nice. It's a big city. It has a lot of the amenities, specifically the safety and the economic um, privilege that you might expect from an ancient big city. Um, and the problem with it is this goddess worship. And so <coughs> God calls Abraham to leave there and to see what he does. What, what will Abraham do? Will he pack up and leave? And, and really God's challenge, his test to Abraham is, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, everything you've ever known, I want you to leave it all behind. And I want you to walk until I tell you to stop. And if you do that, then I'm going to give you an entire land that's yours. You're going to be in charge of this land. You'll be the leader of this land. And your family will inherit that, that land throughout your generations. And I'll even give you a child. I'll make of you, in fact, more than a child, I'll make of you a mighty nation. That's, that's God's promise to Abraham. Will Abraham live up to it? He, he does. You know the rest of the story, of course. He leaves Ur, Ur of the Chaldees and he starts heading towards Canaan. This is the route that he took. Uh, we're familiar with it, of course, because he uh, Moses mentions some of these cities that, that Abraham passes uh, as he's as he's writing through the book of Genesis. So we know where Ur is down there next next to uh, Samer at the bottom of your map. And so he's going to follow that red line all the way up to Haran. Haran is where Terah dies. Abraham's dad's going to die in Haran. His brother, Haran, is going to die in Haran. There's not a city there until they make it there. Uh, and uh, it's named after Abraham's brother. They spend some time there. For whatever reason, they just, they just kind of stop there. The uh, Bible's not clear about it. We're not let in on all the, all the factors here. But we do know that Terah and Abraham and Sarah and Lot, they just, they just stop right here in Haran. And then finally... Abraham's brother dies and, and his father dies and then God revisits him and says, re-applies re, uh, this promise, reminds Abraham why he's here in the first place. And so Abraham comes down and he finally gets into Canaan. That happens in Genesis 12 verse 1, right? So let's, let's read this little section here and I, I just want you to see how fast he leaves Canaan. He's been trekking toward this place, this land for who knows how long. I don't know how long this would have taken him or how, how long he made it take. Um, but for a good long time now, he's been trekking towards Canaan. But I want you to notice how quickly he leaves Canaan. Remember, we're going to learn something from Abraham today. He is the father of the faithful, right? That's what the New Testament says. Paul would call him that on several occasions. But 
like us, you're going you're gonna to be able to identify with Abraham. He's more like Peter than you might think. Most of us can identify with Peter, the, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He's constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Abraham does some of the very similar things. Um, in the New Testament, he's known as the father of, faith, of the faithful. But in the Old Testament, as you read through his story, you get some back behind-the-scenes views of his burgeoning faith. And, and it will grow, uh, but it's not there yet. And so let's, let's see. Uh, what's going on here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Well, this is where he says to leave your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's the promise. Sounds like a good deal, right? Abraham's going to get in on this deal. I want a land, and I want an inheritance. I want uh, a mighty nation to come out of me. And so Abraham leaves. He went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah's wife and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions and they, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the, land, to the place at Shechem. There's Shechem on the, on the map behind me. You can see Shechem. So he stops there at the Oak of Morah. And at that time, there were Canaanites in the land. Now, we know that years later, when Abraham's descendants come back to this land from Egypt, there's still Canaanites in the land. And what are those Canaanites like? Well, the spies who come in, to spy out the land for Moses, has a description for these Canaanites. They're giants, right? They're, we're like grasshoppers in, our, in their eyes. And so I would just imagine, we're not told this specifically, but I, I would imagine that those giants, Abraham sees some of those guys. He sees the fortified villages and the cities. And he, he sees the warriors. And so he is not comfortable staying in Shechem. So what does he do? Well, he keeps on trekking. He builds an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. And verse 8 says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and the Ai on the east. We know those cities too, don't we? Again, years later, when Joshua takes uh, leadership of the children of Israel, he will come in and the very first city that they conquer, I was going to say attack, but that's not entirely correct. The very, very first city that they conquer is Jericho, right? Uh, they march around the walls one time every day for seven days. On the seventh day, what do they do? They march around it seven times, right? And they're blowing the trumpets. And you, know, you know the story. Our children know the story. The walls come tumbling down, don't they? And so they have won through Yahweh an incredible victory here at the very beginning. But then what happens? At the little city of Ai, the little farming village of Ai, they lose because of sin, right? And so he's talking about cities that we, that we know here from the rest of history. So uh, Abraham is in those places. Here at this, at this place, uh, he builds an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham, in verse 9, journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Where's the Negev? You ever thought about that? 
That's in that little section between Canaan and Egypt. That's called the Negev. Right, right in the middle of Egypt and Canaan is a little section called the Negev. Now, why in the world does he go there? Why does Abraham go to the Negev? Well, we've got a couple of guesses. Again, we're not letting in on all the particulars here, but we've got a couple of guesses. Negev literally means dry. So, I don't know that you should picture barren wasteland like uh like a desert kind of thing. I don't think that's the picture you're supposed to be gathering here. But to this day, it's still hilly there. Uh, and the people that live there are Bedouins. They, they're, they're, they're travelers. They're nomads. Uh, and so why are they doing there? They're, doing there or they're there for the same reason that Abraham was there all these many centuries ago. No one else is there. It's not as plentifully um, uh, populated as the other areas of Canaan. It is dry. There's pasture lands there, but they're not, not great pasture lands. And Abraham has a lot of cattle uh, and goats and those things. And so he needs pasture lands, but he also needs not to die, right? Because God's going to make of him a mighty nation, right? He's going to have children, right? Uh, and he's going to inherit this land. But if he's going to inherit this land, and if he's going to have children, and make, God's going to make a mighty nation out of him, he's got to find a way not to die in Canaan. Who could have protected him in Canaan? Well, certainly God could have, right? And so he keeps on trekking towards the Negev because he's looking for a way for him to be safe. Well, God's made all these incredible promises to him. Is he going to be safe in Canaan? Yes. God would have figured it out, right? He, he would have made it work for Abraham. It may not have been the way that Abraham would have wanted it to be, but God was going to fulfill these promises. That was the bedrock promise. So why does Abraham move constantly toward the Negev? His faith's a little faltering at this point. It's not as strong as it will be one day, but that's something that we can identify, can't we? We identify with a faltering faith because sometimes we don't always trust God like we should, do we? There, there are uh, what four instances here that I've put on the board uh, where Abraham... He either thinks that God can't do what he said he would do, or maybe God needs a little bit of help doing what he said he would do, or maybe God's not, maybe he's not good. Maybe he's, maybe he's not going to take care of me. Maybe he'll leave me out to hang in the breeze, but his promise will be still be fulfilled, but who knows what's going to happen to me? Look at the rest of these, these, uh, these stories that are on the board behind me. Uh, when he gets in Egypt, because he's going to have to leave the Negev, right? Um, there's a drought. And so the place that is dry, the Negev, gets a whole lot drier when it doesn't rain. And so he's forced not back into Canaan where the pasture lands are plentiful because it's scary there. Because of his faltering faith. So he doesn't go back into Canaan. He goes into Egypt. And what's he do when he gets to Egypt? Well, he looks at Sarah. You go back and read this on your own. It's Genesis 12, um, starting in verse 10. He looks at Sarah and says, well, technically, you are my half-sister. So when we get into Egypt, you're so pretty. Um, I suppose that's a compliment. But what he says next is definitely not a compliment. Uh, when we get into Egypt... 
when we get into Egypt, the people there are going to see how beautiful you are, and they're going to kill me and take you. So what I want you to do is just say that you're my sister, and so they will deal well with me. But what's that end up with Sarah? How does Sarah end up? Well, you read the rest of the story. She ends up in Pharaoh's house as one of his wives. How is God going to make a mighty nation out of Abraham and Sarah if Sarah's not married to Abraham anymore? You see his faltering faith? It's awfully hard, isn't it? It's awfully hard to have this kind of resilient, deep faith. Years later, after they leave Egypt, Sarah's going to try to derail the plan again. She's going to say, well, God's obviously not powerful enough to do this. He's not powerful enough to give a woman a baby who's past the age of menopause. He can't do it. He's not powerful enough. And so he's going to need some help. And so why don't you marry uh, my maidservant, Hagar, and you can have children with her. And that's how uh, we we figured it out, right? We we figured out how God's plan is going to work. You do this thing, this sinful thing, and God's going to work it out for you. Come on, Sarah. (laughs) Come on, Abraham. God doesn't need your help fulfilling his promises. He needs your help in being faithful. (laughs) He needs your help being holy. He doesn't need your help fulfilling promises. He's got that all on his own. So you know the fallout from that. Of course, uh, Hagar will become pregnant with a boy. They name him Ishmael, right? And um, all kinds of interesting things happen because of this Uh, This union between Abraham and and Hagar resulting in Ishmael. But one of the things that happens is even later in Genesis 17, God is going to come to Abraham again. And he's going to reiterate these promises. I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham's like, okay, I I guess that's going to work because um, I don't don't know that I have um, a sure sign of that yet. He's just kind of been wandering around. But one day, this is going to be my children's land, okay. But this whole children thing, uh, I just don't see how it's going to happen because Sarah can't, uh, she's not, she can't even have children anymore. And when she could have children, she didn't have any children. So I, I just don't see how this is going to work. And here I am, I'm 99 years old, and I can't have, you know, like, maybe it would be better if Ishmael, if you, if you, be, if you just transferred these promises to Ishmael. Wouldn't that be good, God? God says, no, that's not what we're going to do. And so you see Abraham's faltering faith throughout this whole ordeal. We identify with him, don't we? Because sometimes we think the same things that Abraham thinks. Is God really going to be able to take care of me in the midst of this? Is he, is he, is he good? I know, he, I know we say he's good, but will he really take care of me? Is he powerful enough to do this thing? You got to think Abraham's got a pretty good grasp on how powerful God is, right? He sees the evidence of it right in front of him. In fact, there's a voice speaking to him from heaven, telling him where to go and when to stop and what to do and making these promises. And for 25 years, he's kept Abraham alive in situations that Abraham ought not have lived through. I think he's got to have a pretty good grasp on who God is, that he is good, that he is powerful. But you still see this faltering faith. And it makes sense because 
We're in a very similar boat, aren't we? Flip over to, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something about Abraham. This is the hall of faith, right? Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. The, these are recounts of stories where God is proud of how these people interacted with him. He's proud of these people's faith. And Abraham takes up a good portion of this chapter. Look in verse 8. By faith, Abraham went, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. There's that mustard seed faith Drew read for us a little bit ago, isn't it? He didn't know where he was going, but he believed God was going to be faithful. And so what's he do? He goes. Even if you've got just a little bit of faith and you step out, what can God do? Well, we know from Peter's experience that just a little bit of faith and he walked on water. Now, we always point back to the fact that Peter started sinking. When was the last time you walked on water? The only other person other than Jesus to ever walk on water is Peter, right? With a little bit of faith, God does the incredible. So what is that for you today? What's the little bit of faith that you've got that you can, you can throw at the world? And where's that going to take you? And what's God going to use that to do? Is that selling everything you got and moving to Africa and talking to folks about the gospel? Maybe it is, right? That's, that's given to some people, and that's awesome. So maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe it's selling everything and going to preaching school. Awesome. What if it's just going across the road to your neighbor and talking to them about Jesus? What if it's stepping out and finding new ways to be holy? What if it's crucifying aspects of you that don't look like him. I can't do that. That's crazy, right? What if X happens? <coughs> Will he really provide for me if I do this? Is he good? Yeah. Is he powerful? Oh, man, you better believe it. Can he work with people with mustard seed-sized faith? He does it all the time. It's what he majors in. In fact, that's where Abraham started. And you know how he gets from mustard-sized faith to mountain-sized faith? He just watches God work. He watches God be faithful. Because you know what happens? When you step out, when you step out of the boat like Peter does, when you do something that is irregular for the purpose of holiness, you know what God does? He blesses that. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, Babylonian captivity, and when they are commanded to bow down before this altar, what do they do? They say, sir, we, we will not bow down to that. Um, and e even if God doesn't come through for us, um, we still wouldn't have bowed down. Holiness is more important than anything else, period. Holiness is more important than anything else. It's where everything, it's the linchpin that holds everything together. 
Abraham's figuring that out, that out throughout his life. Let me show you where he figures it out. <clears throat> Back in Genesis 22, he is, his faith has changed by this point. He's a different man. You wouldn't have recognized Abraham if you knew him when he was 75 versus when he was 100 and, what's this, probably 113, 115. We think Isaac's somewhere between 13 and 15 years old at this point. He may have been much older. He may have been 20. He's a young man. That's a pretty wide range in, in the Old Testament. So if you knew him from when he was 75 to all the, time, all the way to, say, 120, you wouldn't have recognized this man. Look at his faith now. On the third day, God's told Abraham, go sacrifice your son, the one that you've been waiting on, the one on whom all these promises hold. Go sacrifice him. Abraham wakes up, if you read the verse previous to this one, he wakes up early in the morning to obey. That's what holiness looks like. We want to obey. We're ready to sacrifice. Whatever it takes to be like him. So on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. He's been walking for three days. He finally gets there. He looks up. He sees the mountain uh, where, where he's going to sacrifice Isaac. Then, verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and what? Come again to you. Are you still in Hebrews 11? Look, look at Hebrews 11 again. I, w- I want you to underline this, this passage in Genesis 22 at some point. But I and the boy will worship and we will come again to you. But you need to tie it to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In Genesis 22, the Hebrew writer in in chapter 11 lets us in on what Abraham's thinking in Genesis 22. And you see it again in Genesis 22. I and the boy, you stay here. These, these, these guys that he brings along with him, you stay with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will return. He's going over there to sacrifice Isaac, to kill Isaac, right? He's convinced that God is not only so powerful and so good, that if he has to sacrifice Isaac, that God can raise him from the dead and that the boy will be returning back home with him. There's not an ounce of fear in Abraham. It's been cast out by faith. Isn't that incredible? You know how he did it? He stepped out a little bit at a time. Back in Genesis 12, Abraham, leave your country and go to a place where I'm going to tell you. Seems like a bad idea, but okay. You know, <laughs> I wish we knew what he was thinking. But he agrees, and he goes, and he, he does this, and he watches time after time, year after year, God be faithful. And so by the time Genesis 22 happens, years later, Abraham's got this solid faith, and he thinks God's capable of anything. Resurrection in Abraham's day was not even a thing. Nobody had been resurrected by Abraham's day. You see that in, in, in the prophets' day, right? Hundreds of years in the future. You certainly see it with Jesus in, 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 uh, in the first century. Of course, he's resurrected. 
But in Abraham's day, he has no concept of resurrection, but he's so set in the belief that God's going to fulfill his promise. If I kill the boy, God's going to bring him back to life. And there's nothing, there's, there's no other way to make this possible. I know he's going to make good on this promise. He's going to make good on his promises to you too. What do you need to do to hold up your end of the bargain? Holiness is necessary. And it is hard fought. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intentionality. Being around people who are pushing you, who are rebuking you when, you, when they see your life that's out of step with the truth of the gospel, right? Reading scripture, not just on Sundays, but regularly, so as to learn and so as to grow closer to him, so as to hear these promises and to see how he makes good on them. You're building trust in God. That's what faith is. It's trust in Him. So do you trust Him? Do you, do you think He's going to make good on, your, on His promises? Even a mustard-sized faith has incredible ramifications. So what are you going to do about it? Abraham left his country. He believed for 25 years waiting on a child. And when God says to sacrifice that child, he does it. All because of this trust in God. What's your faith pushing you to do? Because faith, James tells us in his, in his letter, faith is not just a word, it's an adverb. It does things. And if it's not pushing you to do something, it's not faith. It's some sort of perversion. So what's your faith pushing you to do? Hope it's pushing you towards holiness, towards deeper activity in his kingdom, towards greater dreams in his kingdom. What's possible with God? Everything. Where are you going to be in 100 years? At the beginning of this last year, we're going to be in 5 or 10 years. We're going to be in 100 years. I can guarantee everybody in this room is going to be dead in a hundred years, right? It makes us uncomfortable. Ethan's four. He may be one of the younger ones here. Most people don't live to 104. Where's he going to be in a hundred years? I had better raise him so that in a hundred years, I can be sure where he's going to be. Abraham had this laser focus on heaven. If you go back through and you read Hebrews chapter 11, that's one of the things that God keeps pointing, drawing us back to for Abraham. <coughs> he was so focused on heaven, he didn't let anything get in his way. So where are you going to be in 100 years? And are you planning for that date now? Faith affects how you live here, but it sure enough better affects how you live there, right? It's going to change how you live here. 
so that it changes your destination there. We have to be laser focused on the destination, on heaven. It's the reward. It's the motivation behind doing the things that we do, behind making the sacrifices that we make. But where are you going to be in 100 years? And are you planning for that moment now? We plan for vacations, right? We plan for retirement. We plan for dates and all these other things. Have you planned for eternity? This morning, if you haven't started thinking about eternity, now is the perfect time to think about it, to have your sins washed away through the power of Jesus' blood and in baptism. Follow our sister Pat's good example. Maybe you've made that decision this morning and you're struggling with keeping that destination as your single focus. We want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. There's a thousand reasons for you and me that makes no way to Good morning, church family. Hope everyone is doing all right this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and place in the black box in the back, we'd be happy to have a record of your attendance. Some announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, there are some Valentine's Day boxes uh, out in the foyer for our college students. Um, we're mailing those out Monday. 
Um, so tonight will be the last night uh, to uh, bring your whatever you want to give to our college kids, some candy. They love candy um, or a card or just let them know you're thinking of them. Um, so those will be mailed out this Monday. Also, CYC snacks, there's a list on the foyer board if you can help out with CYC snacks. The kids will be heading to Gatlinburg uh, at the end of the month, um, so they're needing some snacks. Uh, the reason why they usually have snacks is because it keeps them from running in, to the concession stand back and forth a hundred times during uh, the speaker, so it keeps them in their seats. But if you can help out with that, I'd be greatly appreciated. Also, February the 18th, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group, will be hosting Share Your Love Meal uh, after morning services for our widows and widowers and also those that are single. Um, so uh, please put that in your calendar. That's uh, February the 18th. Um, also, Young at Heart will be meeting uh, next Tuesday uh, on the 20th. We'll have a short devotional at 1030. We're, we'll be heading to Crackle Barrel. Um, that, uh, that evening, so it should be a lot of fun. Also, uh, men, please put on your calendars March 15th and 16th for the men's, men's retreat. Uh, so that's coming up um, at Hal's Mill, um, so March 15th and the 16th, so please put that in your calendars. Updates are on a prayer list. Remember to continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. Keep Jim Martin and Jackie Hutchison and Jim Haney in your prayers as well as they continue with their cancer treatments. Um, continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as she undergoes uh, treatments. Continue to keep Roger Kaufman in your prayers as well. Um, uh, also, uh, remember these families in your prayers. Um, also, James Large will have upcoming tests as well this week, so keep him in your prayers as well that uh, the results uh, come back good. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Brammer's uh, sister, Lola Gillespie, passed away last week. Uh, funeral arrangements are today. So keep, uh, keep that family in your prayers. And also uh, Terrell Spitzer's brother, Dana Jones, passed away as well last week. And services will be held at Hall's Funeral Home this Monday at 2 o'clock. So keep that family in your prayers. Um, ladies' class will meet this Monday. Um, Monday morning at uh, 10 o'clock, uh, they will be going over lesson three. Uh, and that's all the announcements I have. Um, is there anything else I may have missed? All right, looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 250. We'll sing the first to fourth and fifth verse, and then Brother Nathan Thompson will have our, have our prayer. How sweet the heavenly that
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are also very thankful to have had this opportunity to gather this morning in fellowship, and we are thankful for Chris and the lesson that he has shared with us this morning. Uh, I, I think the topic of the lesson, we all could do better to have a stronger faith in you, Father, and we ask that you work through us to uh, in, improve upon that. Father, we ask uh, that you bring your healing touch and comfort to those that have been mentioned this morning on the sick and prayer list, and we ask that you keep everyone safe as they return home after service today. In your son's name, amen.